1: Welcome into this week's episode of the show before the show podcast, the official podcast of minor league baseball as, uh, the three amigos back in, uh, in the, the virtual landing space of the podcast world, Tyler Mon, Sam Dykstra, Benjamin Hill. Hello, Sam and Ben. How are you? Hi, Tyler. How, how is Mexico? It's good. You now that
2: you've been there for a week now.
1: It's good. I've been here for, uh, for quite some time. Yes, indeed. Um, yeah, we are, uh. Coming down to the final days of the U23 Baseball World Cup, there are prospects galore. Uh, Especially, it seems, if you're an A's or a Padres fan, you should be tuned into the the U23 World Cup. There's a lot of prospects from those two organizations, especially. we got prospects from other organizations, too, but just lots of A's and Padres, guys, as it feels. Uh, But, yeah, we're getting close. We're recording this on uh, Thursday, the 30th. Uh, Coming up on Saturday is the championship game. And uh, and we will wrap up this uh, first World Cup since the start of the pandemic. So that's kind of nice to be um, coming down to the end of uh, Knockwood, what has uh, so far been the successful and safe event. And uh, yeah, what's going on with you guys? It's I, I for the you know, fifth season in a row, basically missed the entire MILB postseason because I was off doing one of these World Cup events. But uh, we've crowned champions all across. The AAA final stretch is coming down to, to its climactic conclusion. Uh, how are things around the office in New York? Well, I'm in the office two days a week, and I'd say during those two
0: days, they're going swimmingly. It's <laughs> nice to be... Uh, it's good out of the house and uh, enjoying the, as you said, the final last gasp home stretch of, uh, of minor league baseball. But given my part-time schedule this week, and I'm Ben Hill, of course, uh, by the way, um, in case someone was like, whose voice is this? This uh, sultry voice. Um, <laughs> it's the second time I've used the word sultry today. It's the word of the day, S-U-L-T-R-Y, sultry. Um, but the, what we're talking about in general right now is not too sultry. It's uh, just saying goodbye to a very strange minor league season I uh, didn't get to lock into the playoffs as much as I normally do, but uh, one little thing I would like to note is that the Charleston River Dogs won the championship, and that would be the Low A. South Low A East, 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 low East, the Low A East, and the Charleston River Dogs have been a franchise operating continuously as a minor league team since 1980, and that was their very first championship ever. And uh, prior to the year, if you guys recall, I wrote a series of fun fact articles, giving a fun fact about every team. And my fun fact about the Charleston River Dogs was that they never won a championship. And the team was on me right away, saying like, "That's your fun fact about us. Your fun <laughs> fact is that we've never won a championship." So uh, look what they went out and did—they won a championship. They so did it just to spite fact. you. They did. So that's the fun fact: the Charleston River Dogs established 1980 in 2021 have their first league championship. So congratulations to them. And my sincerest apologies that my fact about them was not fun, but that was the bulletin board material they needed to get over the hump. <laughs>
2: yeah, I feel like you need to do a story on this next year to just turn things around, like keep this going momentum-wise in terms of uh, all that stuff. But one thing we should note about Charleston Riverdogs, Tyler, you and I talked about this in a three-strike segment. They, they won this year as a Rays affiliate, first right. year ever as a Rays affiliate. Um, so, you know, you can only be as good as the players that are sent to you and, uh, Ray sent a whole lot of good ones to Charleston Bowling Green won a title as well. Um, Montgomery was in its championship series. Durham is currently undefeated in the final stretch. It just keeps going in that Tampa Bay pipeline. Yeah. If
1: you if were we a Ray's prospect, you were either playing for or winning a championship.
0: Yeah. I did not mean to cut you off there, but you know, this is, um, We're also knowledgeable. And, you know, one thing leads to another conversation wise, and we're talking about Charleston. How about Charleston, West Virginia, home of the West Virginia power, who of course, were in the South Atlantic league for many years. Uh, They were one of the teams that are no longer affiliated team now in the independent Atlantic league and uh, just, and their season is still going in the Atlantic league, but the West Virginia power who play in Charleston, West Virginia, changed their name to the Charleston dirty birds. So we had a rebranding in the, uh, in the Atlantic league from a former minor league team. And, you know, it's funny all those years in the South Atlantic league, when there were two Charlestons, there was Charleston South Carolina and Charleston, Virginia. And sometimes they'd informally be called Charlie North and Charlie South. Uh, The Charleston West Virginia team has gone on to the Atlantic league, but uh, now they're the dirty birds. And that is a reference to coal mining in the region, the dirty birds being, the canaries, the not proverbial, the literal, the literal canaries in the coal mine, uh, who basically were sent in there to to die, but uh, hopefully Charles not
1: die. not die. But if they made it out, things were okay. If they died, ugh, not so much. Yeah. So the dirty birds is
0: represent is uh, an homage to coal mining in the region and the sacrifice of those dirty birds. The canaries in the coal mine who uh, serve as a bellwether of uh, overall safety or lack thereof and that's charleston west virginia we were talking about the charleston river dogs just a freewheeling conversation or <laughs> or freewheeling if we're talking about west virginia and we just <laughs> want to keep going
1: my kingdom to the first charleston dirty birds player who does the uh, 1998 atlanta falcons dirty bird touchdown dance after uh after a home run next year, Jamal Anderson will will show up. And do you think the kids of today, like the, the, not clue. the guys who were playing, they don't have a clue? No, not at all. They weren't even born. Same
2: thought. I was like, "Dirty Birds." That's not Atlanta. What is? <laughs> this is not like you're not affiliated. You're not a Braves affiliate. What are you doing, Dirty Birds?
1: Now? Not a uh, clue. None of these kids will have a clue. Uh, but if anybody does learn that dance, hit us up the show before the show podcast at on next season, and please let us know. Um, well, let's dive in our weekly conversation with Ben. Ben, a couple of weeks ago, got a chance to check out the home of the Somerset Patriots, who, of course, returned uh, after their ballpark was inundated by floodwaters and the remnants of Hurricane Ida. um, And they made it back and finished off the home season at their ballpark. And uh, for Somerset, wrapping up a first year as a New York Yankees affiliate, first year in affiliated ball. So many cool stories there. Uh, And Ben's got one about the public address announcer with the Somerset Patriots. Ben, give us uh, the lowdown of the story at MILB.com.
0: This is my final story in this run of Somerset Patriots articles. But when I was there, I got a chance to talk to Spall. Spall. His name is Paul Spahala. It's pronounced more like, uh, or it's spelled S-P-Y-C-H-A-L-A. But Paul Spahala, I hope I'm saying that correctly. I'm talking about a PA announcer who always knows how to say things correctly. So the irony here, but Paul Spahala um, was the team's, public adjuster announcer for every year since the team was well they played their first season on the road in 1998 in the aforementioned independent atlantic league uh debuted in somerset at td bank ballpark in 1999 and paul has been their pa announcer every year uh all the way through this 2021 season which was notable for several reasons including the fact that the team that used to be in the An independent team, the Somerset Patriots became the double A affiliate of the Yankees. So this is just another one of my ballpark character uh, slice of life minor league stories about a uh, PA announcer reflecting on what he considers to be the best job in the state of New Jersey and uh, sharing some memories along the way and uh, what the team meant to him, what the fans meant to him. Uh, You know, this was the sense of humor that he would employ or try to employ during the games. Uh, his specific style and energy. And as you guys know, and as a lot of people listening to this uh, podcast know, um, if you go to a, a ballpark a lot, people like ushers, um, game day employees in general, certainly PA announcers become part of the fabric. And um, the casual fan might not notice. It's a pretty big loss for a team when someone who's literally the voice of the ballpark for the entire franchise history moves on. But he's moving on for a good reason. He and his wife uh, want to be closer to their grandson and take care of their grandson, Jack. And uh, so they moved more, uh, they moved away from central New Jersey and closer to the grandson. And there you have it folks, but uh, happy trails to Paul Spahala. Spychala. It is not (laughs) 23 joyous seasons with the Somerset Patriots. Uh, And and Ben, we were talking about this
2: a little bit coming into this week, but the final stretch is actually here. Uh, and there's a bunch of baseball things we could talk about, but also this is still the last chance for AAA teams to bring out fans to the ballpark. Um, you know, we've talked before about how difficult that can be in a postseason environment once school starts and temperatures get a little bit cooler, but teams are still trying to to get folks out and, and make the most of these last four or five games by the time you guys hear this. Um, so specifically looking at Memphis and Gwinnett, but like what are those two teams kind of setting an example of how you can treat this final stretch and and bring people out to the ballpark in this cooler and, you know, wrapping up time.
0: Yeah. Minor league baseball in October, minor league regular season baseball in October. Uh, You'd have to go back a long time uh, to find that. That was an idea that if I was on a full-time schedule right now, uh, I knew that that compulsive part of me would have tried to search to find exactly the last time that minor league baseball was played in October. It's been a while. Um, it's just triple a and uh, the final weekend is coming the final weekend of the final stretch. And it is interesting to see, you know, what teams are doing the last gas promotions to get them in the ballpark or last chance to maybe give away items. that might've been uh, you know, postponed in the past or that they held over for whatever reason. Uh, I think Memphis is one of the best examples of a team, you know, all the way to the end uh, going hard on the promo front. Um, their fan appreciation weekend is coming up. And uh, on Friday, they're wearing their Memphis Dry Rubs jerseys. And that dry rub is, um, you know, a reference to, you know, Memphis barbecue. And, you know, some people like sauce. Some people like dry rub in terms of their seasoning. But all fans will receive packets of official Memphis Redbirds, Redbirds barbecue sauce and dry rub upon arriving. So you don't even have to make, make your uh, choice. You get to see the team wear jerseys that call them the Memphis Dry Rubs which is not a team name that really rolls off the tongue. No, And you get sauce and dry rub just for coming to the game. And an all-you-can-eat ribs ticket package is available as well, starting at just $27. And uh, it seems, you know, 27, your first thought, oh, that's a lot to just pay to get into a minor league game. But then if you think about it, it it's like, wait, I got a ticket and all-you-can-eat ribs? That's not too bad.
2: It almost feels like dinner with a side of baseball.
0: Yeah, which I think. don't
2: mean to, like, distract from the game itself because, again, the final stretch matters for something. It's, it, these The final stretch is actually, like, a postseason series. There are standings that go along with it, whatever. But um the fact that you can just, like, pay $27 to get all you eat ribs and, oh, by the way, there's a baseball game happening in front. It seems like a pretty good
1: value. I'd pay $27 just for all you can eat ribs. In Memphis. In too. Memphis, easily. Easily. If somebody said, you can do this for $27, without a second thought, I would do that.
0: Yeah, I mean a rib platter at a respectable barbecue establishment. You're talking yeah. about, about what twenty bucks, right there, probably. Yeah, easily. Um, and that's not all you can eat, although all you can eat always brings to mind the next question: Is how much would you want? To eat? Are ribs a ribs, a food that if you go and get a rack of ribs, are you like, all right, that was just the beginning for me. This is all you can <laughs> eat. And I'm getting, a, I'm getting more and more and more ribs. You know where, where. But, you know, it's to each his own or to eat his own ribs. And uh, certain people have different – different people have different capacities. And to have an all-you-can-eat option, I'm sure, for a lot of people is uh, put down a lot of ribs.
2: Tyler, this is a question directly for you then as somebody who seems very enthusiastic about this idea. How would you game plan? Would you go like a rib an inning? Would you kind of try to elongate it out? Would you be like most people are with popcorn and just finish it all? Like, eat as much as you can the first two innings?
1: Yeah, I would like to say that I'm somebody who, like, ah, I would ration it out. I would be, you know, smart about it. No, I would just stuff my face. And by the bottom of the second, I would feel like the guy in the Monty Python movie where I'm going to explode all over the ballpark. Uh, my gut will burst from my rib consumption. Um, that would probably end up being me, if we're being honest. Uh, but I also wonder: Do you have the option for your all-you-can-eat ribs of sauce or dry rub? Did you mention this, Ben? Oh no, did I miss that? Not, that is not in the press release. Okay. And, uh, See, now that would be not. my that would be my thought. I'm a not. sauce guy. I know there's a lot of, like, food, Twitter, hot takes. they like, you're immature if you like sauce. Dry rub's better. Dry rub is fantastic. I'm fine with dry rub. I'm into it. But I'm a sauce guy. Uh, so that would probably take up more space in my in my gut as well. Um, yeah, so I would be – bottom of the second inning, I would just be in a food coma in, in Memphis. Also, it's um, – I feel like the baseball, the minor league equivalent of – you know, if the Boston Red Sox can wear those City Connect uniforms in the playoffs, the uh, Memphis Redbirds can wear the Memphis Dry Rubs uniforms in the in the final stretch. That's the that's the minor league equivalent of that. I dig it.
2: Yeah, that's what uh, Ben and I were talking about earlier. Like, if I was in charge of a Triple A team in these last five days, you know, you you know that it's a five game set. Um, there's after no minor league baseball in 2020. This is your last chance to bring people out. I would fire on all seniors cylinders like we're wearing any alternate uniform we wore during the season. We're getting them back out there. Um, I don't know the logistics of that. That's very much easy for me to say from the seat, but, um, any alternate identity we had, we're wearing again in the final week, like celebrating 2021
1: and all. Yeah. Just, just a blowout event. I remember, uh, one of my very favorite moments ever working in a minor league front office was the last home game that I worked, uh, in double A Altoona. We had, uh, a mascot mayhem race, in which every single costume that we had in the promotions storage unit, we gathered as many front office people as we could, threw on every single costume, and then we raced around the infield from, like, the first baseline to the third baseline. But it wasn't really a race. It was just chaos. Like, we just got out in the middle of the field. People were tackling each other and going insane. This would be the, the equivalent of that uh, in an on-field sense. And I'm into that. I think every team should be doing it. Just were, were up you calling the game thing. at that point? No, I was. But I uh, made our, our good friend Mike Passanisi, I made him take over for that inning. He was the the lead guy, and I was the assistant. And I think it was, like, the fifth. And I was like, this is normally my inning, but I really want to go do the mascot thing. I was like all right, I'll take it. <laughs> so I went, so who it. were you then? I think I was a banana. I want to say, minor league front offices always have a banana costume for some reason. That's like a that's a universal truth. Cross minor league front offices, there's always a banana and there's always a hot dog. Uh, I'm pretty sure I was the banana, but I do remember just laying out one of our interns. Like, you know, he was cutting across. It was just like a blindside tackle. I just crushed this poor kid. Um, there's, I think there's still video of it probably on the uh, the Altoona Curve Facebook page for any weirdo who wants to go back to 2012 at the end of the season and find it. Uh, but it was a lot of fun. Um, well, we were talking about Triple A. We're talking about the final stretch and that's where we're headed for the interview segment this week. Ben, we are, uh, we're going to visit Gwinnett, a team that we haven't talked to in a little while, but uh, take us through the the conversation we're set to have here momentarily with the Gwinnett Stripers. Well, yeah, based on the theme of what we've been
0: talking about, AAA uh, still has some games left. And one of those teams is the uh, Gwinnett Stripers. So we're going to talk to uh, assistant general manager Aaron O'Donnell about what they have planned uh, for their final homestand of the season. And uh, it's quite a lot. It's uh, closer to the blowout end of the spectrum uh, i'm not sure if there's going to be chaotic uh violent mascot races although that does remind me that the first time i went to gwinnett and this is the better part of a decade ago the uh one of the racers they were racing aerosol cans and one of the racers got hit in the head with the sh- with a shovel by the mascot and he had this big mark on his head and stuff really does get uh get violent you know it's fun people have fun but you know when you have uh younger people as interns with a lot of energy and just a go for broke attitude and hey we're running in a race and it's going to be competitive some bad things happen we are not going to be talking to Gwinnett Stripers, Aaron O'Donnell about mascot violence of decades ago Uh, we are going to be talking about what's coming up this weekend a lot is planned and what goes into planning this unprecedented at least in recent times uh, stretch of AAA baseball into the month of October. Here on the show before the show podcast, I, Benjamin Hill, and Tyler Mon, with us in Mexico, are joined by a special guest, Aaron McCormick, assistant general manager of the Gwinnett Stripers, a Triple A affiliate of the Atlanta Braves, and the Gwinnett Stripers are like, well, half of minor of Triple A minor league teams right now, hosting games in the home stretch of the final stretch throughout late September into the first weekend of October. And if you follow minor league baseball, you know that's a, an unprecedented situation to be in, having a regular season going this late. And, uh, you know, here here on the podcast, we like to talk about unique situations. So without further ado, Aaron McCormick, thank you for joining us on the show before the show podcast.
3: Happy to be here.
0: And here we are talking on uh, September 30th. This podcast episode will be out in October, October 1st. And uh, you've been in minor league baseball for a long time. It was 12th, 13th season, 14th season. Um, and you've never been able to say uh, the regular season is still going here in late September, October. Uh, what is it like for you and your staff operationally uh, just in the midst of this weird season to to still be hosting games right now?
3: It's different, um... This has been a long year. I mean, we started in March as the alternate training site of the Braves. So we had people here March and April, even though the regular season didn't start till May through October. Now for the first time ever playing in October and October baseball is such a major league baseball thing that, I mean, it's been fun to have this and to have the extra games, especially when we missed out on the first month of the season, but it definitely provides its own challenges. I mean, people aren't used to coming to striper's games this late in the year. Obviously kids are back in school. We've got Friday night lights, football, Uh, Georgia, the university of Georgia is like 45 minutes down the road. Um, So a little bit more competition than we're used to right now. The Braves are making a playoff run. Um, Their magic number is one. So maybe by tomorrow we'll know if they've clinched or not. Um, But it's, it's different. It's, exciting the weather is different uh we're wearing jackets again so it there's definitely some energy and um you know looking at our attendance numbers coming up for this last series uh there's definitely people are so hungry they don't want to let baseball go um and it's that's really exciting um and then you know with even with delta spiking again has some new new challenges but um you know overall it's fun Um, It's different. It's something I've never experienced in 15 years. So let's
0: do it. Yeah. And it seems like you're you're really going for it, Um, you know, operationally, promotionally speaking. Uh, Tonight, Thursday, September 30th, you have. You're suiting up as your COPA identity, um, giving away a I'm sure slightly delayed, but finally giving away this uh, Austin Riley bow hunting bobblehead. That's a big item. Uh, drink specials, ticket discounts. Uh, you, if you could speak about those specifically, but also just the general approach. Uh, you know, as you said, it's it's strange to be hosting minor league baseball this time of year. How do you devise a uh, you know promotional strategy and marketing strategy, and uh, you know put it together to make people try to uh, to come out during a time of year when they're not really thinking maybe first and foreno- foremost about the minor leagues?
3: Yeah, when we were given the opportunity to extend the season, by five more games. I mean, we knew we were going to stick with our tried and true promotions, but we have worked really hard to establish here. Thursday, Thursday, Friday night fireworks, Saturday giveaways, Sunday, um, Sunday fun day, kids run the bases, matinee game. Um, but then it was kind of just going back to the archives and what do we have? What do we have here? Uh, we knew we already had a giveaway ready to go. That was something left over from the 2020 season that didn't happen, a neon cap. Um, it's pretty easy to add a fireworks game and we were actually had a theme night that we weren't able to fit into the original schedule, superhero night. So that was pretty easy, um, to add on the Austin Riley bobblehead actually just came about like a week or two ago. Um, we actually did a 2,500 piece Austin Riley bow hunting bobblehead giveaway in September and our partner Academy had ordered some extra to use in store. Um, but for a couple of reasons, they just weren't able to execute that. So they said, hey, you know what, let's let's make another night. This was our biggest giveaway night of the year. Let's do it again. There was plenty of people who I'm sure weren't able to get the bobblehead. So here's their second chance. So we planned it for tonight. Um, And actually the Atlanta Braves had an Austin Riley bobblehead planned for tonight as well. Um, And unfortunately they had to cancel theirs yesterday due to some uh, supply chain issues. So now we are the only Riley bobblehead in town. and um, pretty excited about it. It was definitely by far the most popular one um, Riley who is just mashing for the Braves right now. Um, when he was here in Gwinnett pregame, he would put a put a target out in center field and practice his bow hunting. And um, he was a, that was always really fun for our staff. Maybe something that fans didn't often get to see, but um, he's, he's always really loved the hunting side of things. So we were able to make a unique bobblehead about it. Um, And yeah, I mean, it actually all came together really well. Um, One thing we knew we wanted to do from the get-go was something we had planned for the 2020 season. And then with COVID coming, uh, we had to delay things a bit was the all-you-can-eat seats. Uh, We were looking to roll that out for every game in 2020. And so this kind of gave us the opportunity to do it on a smaller scale and introduce it to fans this way. So for all games in the series, there is an all you can eat seat available, um, where you can go through and get hamburgers, chicken sandwich, Coca Cola products, uh, popcorn, peanuts, all of that go back as many times as you want. Um, and then just recently, our naming rights partner Cool Ray uh, was really generous and, and jumped on for the opportunity for fans to watch a game for $5 with our field box seats. So, a ticket special running there where they're covering the rest of the cost and um, just a really good community piece about we've never played in October before. We've never seen what it's like. You've never seen what it's like. Like let's do it together.
1: And for your fans um, you guys in Gwinnett are in one of the unique situations in minor league baseball where you're so close to the parent club and it's cool because you get to draw from that fan base in Atlanta. Um, But like you said, I mean, we've never seen this with regular season games. Uh, into October. And I know you said attendance numbers seem like everybody's been pretty excited uh, to have some baseball into October. What has the the fan reaction been like or conversations that you've had with fans about, um, you know, not only getting them out to the ballpark, but I would imagine probably, you know, through the latter parts of the season and getting into September, just telling people and, and raising the uh, the alertness that there are going to be games late into September. What's the fan reaction been?
3: It's been great. Like I said, I think people are not ready to let it go and we did start late. So, you know, it's not like we got a full season to begin with. And then with the Braves making their, um, their playoff run, there's just a lot of energy in the city right now for baseball. And we are, you know, 35 miles away from uh, where the Braves play at Truist Park, but gosh, in Atlanta traffic, that could be like an hour away. So um, it's a little bit further than you would think. And honestly, like, it's so populist here. I mean, Gwinnett County alone has almost a million people. So if there's 40,000 people at Truist and 10,000 people at Hooray Field, like, we've got plenty to spare. So we'll we'll welcome any fans that want to watch baseball. And um, actually, yesterday, two of uh, the Braves' top prospects, um, Strider and Langoliers, Shea Langoliers, made their AAA debuts. So that's just another element of, like, Here come the next stars, you know, we were able to, to bump some people up to Atlanta this year, but, um, here's the people you haven't got to see yet who are, um, God, they're young. I'm so old now. I've been in baseball like 15 (laughs) years. So these little babies coming up at 23, 24 feel so little, um, but they're so talented and it's really exciting to watch.
1: Your front office staff um, in a normal minor league season back in the before times, we would get into August and it would be like, all right, only a few weeks left. But the impression that I've gotten from minor league front office members um, as we get later and later in September is I think in a lot of cases, they don't necessarily want it to end the same way they did two years ago because, um, you know, we've all felt what it's like to not have it there. What's it been like for the staff being able to have the final stretch and, uh, you know, get some extended time at the ballpark and, and do this for these last few days?
3: our staff is amazing and they really enjoy being, being here and being around the sports and around our fans and our game day staff is amazing. So we generally, genuinely enjoy being around each other. And, um, and again, there's that buzz, there's that excitement, there's, you know, new things to watch, new things to plan. Um, I mean, no game is ever the same. Right. So it's, it's not coming to work on, you know, just working at a desk job. There's, there's something to look forward to. I think, you know, the back-to-back homestands where we played 12 games in 13 days, we're probably a little bit more draining than necessarily playing into October. Um, Cause now it's just like, it's five games. Everyone keeps being like, heck yeah, like final, final five, this is fun. And honestly, a lot of us are Southerners. So again, like when it, there's like a bit of a chill in the air. And this whole season, I think because of COVID and everyone taking a break, like mother nature healed a little bit and it really never got very hot, um, knock on wood here. I mean, there was, I don't think we re- reached triple digits for a game ever, um, which is unheard of in you know Georgia. So I think that gave everyone a little life too because you weren't just like walking around sweating <laughs> every day. Um, and so now we're all like, Oh, God, it feels wonderful out. I want to be outside. This is amazing. Let's spend more time
0: outside. Aaron, at the start of this uh, interview segment, uh, we introduced you by your job title, Aaron McCormick, Assistant General Manager for the Gwinnett Stripers. And uh, just coincidentally, you know, we reached out to you to talk about what we've been talking about, about the AAA Uh, final stretch and what it's like to operate in this final, final stretch. But you are now, as we speak in the final stretch of being assistant general manager tomorrow, before this podcast comes out and becomes official, it will be official that you Aaron McCormick are the general manager of the Gwinnett stripers. Congratulations.
3: Thank you so much. Thank you. You guys got the scoop, man.
0: (laughs) Breaking news now on this podcast.
3: Yeah, breaking we get, news
0: over here we got the scoop so can since we have uh, the scoop and um you know this is a, a huge career development i've known you in minor league baseball for you know, at least 13 years going back to emailing you for details about ridiculous promotions in memphis <laughs> and uh uh so i know it's a uh, like anyone in this industry it's a long slog a lot of hard work to get to that gm spot and uh you know, big congratulations. And since we do have you for this scoop, uh, do we have a, an exclusive quote on uh, you know, what this means to you to now be the general manager of the Gwinnett stripers?
3: Oh gosh, put me on the spot, right? <laughs> I don't have my statements prepared yet. Um, no, I'm just, I'm so excited. Um, you know, like you said, Ben, 13 years ago, we met, I've been in this business for 15 years, 14 seasons. Um, the pandemic ruined my counting a little bit, but uh, I mean, this is what I always worked for. And it's been a long time coming. It's been a, a different, um, not linear <laughs> um, path to, to this position. But honestly, I really wouldn't change much. And um, to be able to be here in Atlanta, you know, as the Braves affiliate and make this step is amazing. And as you well know, these opportunities don't open up very often, especially at the AAA level. Um, and I'm just so excited to finally make this job. And I'm excited for Adam, my um, former general manager uh, here with the Stripers and one of my best friends. Um, he's going on to a great situation in Nashville with, and closer to his family. So this is positive for everyone. And those are some unique situations.
0: Well, a win-win situation. And, uh, again, a big congratulations on, on the well-deserved promotion. And uh, best of luck in the uh, the home stretch, in the final stretch, saying goodbye to a unique minor league baseball season in a, in a very unique way. Minor league baseball in October. Get psyched. Get ready. Come out to the ballpark if you're in one of those AAA markets, uh, if you can make it, including, of course, Gwinnett. Aaron, thanks a lot for being here. It was great talking to you.
1: So now we move along to three strikes on this week's episode of the show before the show where we talk about the three biggest topics in minor league baseball and uh, for strike one this week we have actual champions to discuss in the minor leagues as uh, the triple a final stretch still in progress as we're recording this here on September 30th, but champions across double a high a and low a congratulations to the following teams double a northeast akron swept Bowie three games to none in a best of five northwest arkansas swept wichita which made a championship series in its first season in existence uh but three wins for northwest arkansas and double a central to capture that crown and mississippi knocked off montgomery uh a game that the biscuits uh lost by one run in the fifth and decisive game uh, of that best of five series, if not for that loss, it would have been another championship for the Tampa Bay Rays. Rays affiliate, Bowling Green, wins a series over Greensboro, three games to two in High A East. High A Central, Quad Cities with a 3-2 series win over Cedar Rapids. And in High A West, the Eugene Emeralds, San Francisco Giants affiliate with a three games to one series win over Spokane. The Rockies affiliate, Charleston, as Sam noted early on in the show in his first year as a Rays affiliate, uh, as we were discussing with Ben, champions knocking off down east, the Rangers affiliate three games to two. That's in Low A East. Low A Southeast, Tampa swept Bradenton three games to none. The Yankees affiliate with a the championship there, and in Low A West, San Jose with a three games to none sweep of Fresno as the Giants capture that crown. Um, Sam, it's cool to actually have championships in the books. Um, it's cool to have some historic championships. I think the uh, the legacy of this 2021 season uh, is going to be the Tampa Bay Rays in their dominance. We know Durham is still unbeaten in the final stretch. They were the best team in AAA East throughout the season. Uh, you get championships at seemingly every level, or if not championships, playing for championships, uh, but also some other successful organizations as well, San Francisco uh, with some teams winning titles too, uh, but a, a fun minor league postseason that is now in the books. Yeah, and
2: one thing I want to point out, which is more of an oddity than anything, uh, but only one of these series only went four games. It, it ran really hot and cold. There were a few that finished all five games, uh, a team winning three to two. There were a couple that were swept, like you mentioned. I don't, uh, that's, I'm sure, just a statistical anomaly, you know, there being nine series. Some funky stuff can happen like that, but I thought that was interesting that either series went the full distance or uh, they were swept very quickly. Um, one series that, that stood out to me was that high A East Series You mentioned with Bowling Green uh, beating Greensboro three to two. That Greensboro team was really loaded, I think, uh, with Pirates prospects. Uh, but Bowling Green coming away with with the win there and, and Bowling Green pretty much all year had the best high East record. So it felt a little just uh, that they walked away with the title. But, yeah, you talked about the Rays are the obvious standout here, um, pretty much winning. At every level, the only team that did not win a championship was Montgomery, uh, who went a full five games against Mississippi, but couldn't pull it out against the Braves affiliate. But Durham doing well again in the final stretch, which is hilarious to me because anything can happen over 10 games. But yet here we are sitting here on Thursday. They're 6-0 uh, right now. They are currently playing Norfolk. As we're discussing this, they are up to nothing, so they're well on their way uh, to 7-0 and in the final stretch. Bowling green, taking it away, Charleston, taking it away. Uh, I'm actually excited to dig into that this off season. You know, I'm kind of taking a note here and just trying to figure out. We know the Rays are really, really good at developing players. We talked about this last week. Um, they have a big emphasis on doing that basically because that is their model is to develop players and either trade them for major league assets at some point, like they did with Nelson Cruz this summer, or, you know, bring them up to the majors and, and make them big-time contributors like they've done with Wander Franco and Shane Boz, among many others. Um, so the fact that it's worked out especially this well this year and especially after a lost year last year, is there something they did differently or was it just because, you know, they, they've developed really well and as simple as that, they had good teams. I, I don't know. It's something to really dig into more this offseason, I think. Um, but, yeah, to, to have these all these teams – as we talked about in the past, actually rewarded for their season-long efforts, um, get something to walk away with, get a title. For a lot of these teams, for a lot of these guys, after the loss 2020, um, they weren't able to play at alternate training sites. Some of them got to play at instructs, but not necessarily all. So uh, to to be rewarded in this way must feel really good. Uh, You mentioned the Giants winning two titles. I think that kind of underlines just how good the Giants are at the lower levels, Um, I think their biggest, uh, you know, the biggest star you can put next to their system right now is how good they are with young prospects uh, looking at guys like Luis Matos and Marco Luciano. So the fact that those guys now have titles to their names as well is huge for that system and and why it's a system we're going to be keeping close tabs on as those guys go to double A and triple A. And can they keep those winning ways going or will the uh, challenges of the upper levels kind of catch up to the giants at some point, but Congrats to all teams that walked away with trophies. And, uh, yeah, I can't wait to see what this means
1: for their 2022 and their futures beyond that. Sam, let's move on to strike two, which is uh, the minor league postseason now in the books. The major league postseason is nearly at hand, and prospects who could impact the major league postseason, uh, some of them already making their presences known. We just saw uh, the Seattle Mariners making a, a move to their minor league ranks in a situation where it looked like they were turning on short rest to a starting pitcher in Tyler Anderson uh, and saw it with a crucial game against the A's at hand. Well, is this an, an opportunity where they're going to be turning to Matt Brash, uh, the right-handed pitcher, in a piggyback sort of situation? They didn't in that game, but Matt Brash is now up with the Mariners. He's a very late-season call-up. This is the final few days now of this Major League season. Who else do you have an eye on as a prospect or prospects who can potentially impact this big league postseason race as we get down to the wire?
2: Yeah, I'm really glad you brought up Matt Brash just because if you ever get a chance to watch Matt Brash this year, go into the MILB.tv archives, even go to Pitching Ninja. He shared some videos of what uh, Matt Brash looks like. But again, like MILB TV, you can watch the entire start uh, of Matt Brash. His slider is insanely good. Uh, it is. It has a lot of break to it. It's got guys swinging and missing a ton. I would have loved to have seen him actually get in that game. Didn't work out. But, you know, if we're talking about, a situation where the Mariners maybe are in like even a tiebreaker uh, to get into the, into the postseason, or if it's the wild card game, I would love to see them give him a shot. Uh, the stuff is going to play. I think at the major league level right now, he hasn't played above double a, but I think that could certainly work. Um, but if it's one inning, the stuff will especially play uh, and especially play for major leaguers who haven't seen it yet. I would love to see the Mariners use him in kind of a, Shane McClanahan role like the Rays did last year we know your stuff is good we wish we could have brought you up earlier we probably should have but hey all these games are important now let's let's make the most of you um so we'd love to see Matt Brash get that opportunity the one that stands out to me most if we're going to talk about the postseason itself is Shane Boz we talked about his debut a while back um I was talking a little bit with MLB.com beat reporter Adam Barry about what the Rays roster is going to look like in the postseason. And he said right now he fully expects Shane Boss to be the number three starter uh, for the Rays in a playoff series. So in a best-of-five LDS, in a best-of-seven LCS or even a World Series, Shane Boss is going to get starting looks for the Rays. He's been that good since they called him up. Uh, talk about the stuff playing. The fastball is hitting the upper 90s. The slider is working. He's mixing in his changeups and curveballs as well. It's, it's been a very effective mix at the major league level, you would have to think maybe it's going to catch up to him at some point, but reading evaluators talk about the stuff, it's it's not stuff that you can necessarily catch up to. It's really, really good right now. Um, so we'd love to see Shane Boz get actual starts uh, in the postseason, but we know with the way the Rays use their starting pitchers, maybe that's only four innings or something before they turn to somebody else. But Shane Boz has been good enough to work deep into outings, and you know the way he's worked because of Uh, The Olympics this year, his innings were already kind of on the low side. Uh, He wasn't used that much in the Olympics, so he had a lot of time off. I think there's plenty of arm left in him to get through the 2021. And if the Rays are making a deep postseason run once again in this season, I think they can ride him pretty hard.
1: And strike three this week, the Arizona Fall League is nearly uh, at hand as well. We're expecting rosters coming up here any day now and uh, a ton of top prospects to head to the AFL, which will be held for the first time since 2019. Um, The Arizona Fall League is one of our favorite things, one of our favorite times of year, one of our favorite things on the baseball calendar. Sam, who is a prospect or some prospects who you are excited to hopefully see uh, or somebody who you feel like would fit in the AFL really well this year?
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm going to borrow an answer. If anybody listened to the Pipeline podcast that I said previously, uh, I'm going to borrow my answer from that, but I'm borrowing from myself. And also- Sam really double timing on podcasts is what he said. Yes, I'm sorry. Sam's cheating on us. I'm, I'm not, I'm really not. This is my first <laughs> time. Tyler, I'm going to look into the camera. As my, as. First <laughs> is, my first love. This is, more are my first love. But the but the the answer to me is Gabrielle Moreno. I think Gabrielle Moreno of the Toronto Blue Jays system was on track to be the breakout prospect of the year this year. Um, there, we were getting good reports of him during spring training. We were getting data on him there as well because of a lot of cast stuff. It seems like he was really impacting the ball well, a good defender behind the plate. Um, we moved him up significantly in top 100 lists. I know other sites have moved him up even more than we did, um, but he had a small sample at AA New Hampshire before suffering a fractured finger, uh, fractured thumb, excuse me, and I, that kind of truncated his season. He got back on track. He got a couple of rehab appearances in the Florida coast league, uh, Florida complex league, excuse me. Um, and even is now up with triple a Buffalo, uh, getting in some at bats with them during the final stretch. Uh, so it seems like he's on track for the, the Arizona fall league. The fall league is almost designed exactly for somebody like Gabrielle Moreno, uh, who as of right now has only played 37 games during the minor league season. Uh, you know, it's, it's an opportunity to make up for lost time. It's an opportunity for you to get healthy and also to show how your skills are going to play against really tough competition. A lot of these systems are going to be sending um, some of their best prospects. We are It's the true of every year that we get the folly. We didn't get it last year, but if you can recall back to 2019, a lot of top guys play in Arizona uh, during the months of October and November. So, you know, Gabriel Moreno right now, his slugging percentage in the minor leagues in 2021 has been 626. Uh, he has eight homers in those 37 games. What happens when he's going up against top pitching prospects, guys who are probably at the double-A AA or triple-A level? Um, but, you know, there's not going to be many scrubs in the AFL. You're going to be facing a top arm all the time. Um, so if his if his hitting ability and his power carry over to the AFL, we'll have even more reasons to be optimistic on him going into 2022. Um, if he scuffles a little bit, okay, well, maybe we can look back at his time at double-A is really short-term success, but the ch- these will be the challenges that he needs to kind of grow on that and adjust and all that stuff. So Gabriel Moreno is my pick for who I'm potentially most excited to see, but it just makes so much sense in the world that he could potentially uh, head to the Arizona fall league. And we'll find out next week, uh, m- maybe next week, maybe in the next couple of days, we'll see. Uh, hopefully bef- sometime before October 13th at the very latest. But uh, Tyler, who's your pick?
1: Yeah, I'm going to the Pittsburgh Pirates organization and uh, very hopeful that we will get a chance to see shortstop Nick Gonzalez uh, in the AFL this year. Nick Gonzalez is a guy who uh, personally I I have a prospect crush on, especially because he embodies so many of the things that it's frustrating to deal with as a baseball fan and a baseball observer in the Rocky Mountain West. Nick Gonzalez is from Vail, Arizona. He went to New Mexico State. He played in the WAC. Everybody said, oh, his offensive numbers, it's altitude, the ballparks, the ball flies well, blah, blah, blah. He's not going to be able to hit professionally. Nick Gonzalez has done nothing but crush uh, since he got into pro ball in 2021. He spent the entire season uh, with Greensboro in high A in the Pirates organization. And uh, over the course of the year, he batted 302 with a 950 OPS. But he got better and better as the season went along. Nick Gonzalez's August numbers in 24 games in August, he batted 364, 419, 757. And there are still doubters out there about Nick Gonzalez. Um, My hope is very much that he gets to go uh, back to Arizona. It's cool for an Arizona kid to be able to go to the AFL, uh, but just to continue to prove that he is a legitimate prospect, a former New Mexico state guy um, who, you know, was taken in the first round as the seventh overall pick. uh, And the, the question marks were so loud about Nick Gonzalez because of where he played. And I love when a guy like that gets to dunk on, all of the people who question him. So my hope is that we'll see Nick Gonzalez, um, you know, toward the end of the season, we were kind of wondering, why is he not in Altoona yet? Um, obviously Greensboro going on and playing for a championship uh, in, in high East and uh, for Nick Gonzalez, if he gets to go to the AFL, an opportunity to really see some of the top pitching talent in minor league baseball and to test himself in that environment. So um, it's my hope. Fingers crossed. Yeah, and, and a return to the Southwest. Right, too. exactly. Very cool for him to be able to get yeah. back to Arizona. So, um, so that'll do it for three strikes on this week's episode of the show. Before the show, uh, Josh Jackson may swing by and say hello, and then we're back to wrap it up We interrupt this podcast to bring you another thrilling edition of Ghosts of the Miners. Now, here's your correspondent and host, Joshua Jackson.
4: Welcome back to Ghosts of the Miners, in which all of you out there in Radio Land must identify the legitimate historical ball club hiding amidst the fraudulent pair. One was a part of history. How I came up with the other is a bit of a mystery. In the last segment, I asked you which of the following minor league baseball teams did at one time exist. A, the Altoona Hammerheads. B, the Moline Plowboys. C, the Virginia Beach Periscope Peepers. Whether you're from the Midwest or farther afield, the correct answer is B, the Moline Plowboys, who from the 1910s into the 1940s competed in two iterations of the Triple I League and one of the Mississippi Valley League. Moline, Illinois is home of the headquarters of John Deere, has been since the late 1840s, as well as other plow production giants such as the Moline Plow Company. No wonder when the Illinois-Indiana-Iowa League's Danville Speakers moved to Moline in the middle of the 1914 season, they bulldozed their old name and became the Plowboys. That losing first campaign shook off the stink of the Speakers and sowed the seeds of a winner. Managed by second baseman George Hughes and featuring big leaguer Hod Eller, the 15 Plowboys rolled over the competition to reap a 3 i league crown. Although the Plowboys won two more championships, both in the 3I League, they planted themselves in history, perhaps most notably via connections to Hall of Famers. Warren Giles, who went on to serve as president of the National League from 1952 to 1969, got his start in the business side of baseball when the World War I veteran attended a meeting to save the sputtering Plowboys in 1919 and came out the new team president. His first big hire was Earl Mack, who managed Moline to a championship in 21 and was the son of none other than Connie Mack. Some reports even have Babe Ruth playing in an exhibition with the Plowboys in 1940. Corny or not, the Moline Plowboys tilled the fertile soil of baseball in the Midwest, helping clear the way for today's Quad Cities River Bandits. And that's the dirt on the Plowboys. Now onto the question for next time. Which of these moody clubs muddled through the miners of yesteryear? A, the Greensboro Grumps. B, the Superior Blues. C, the Downers Grove Downers. Want to know the answer? Smile until it comes to you. Or tune into the next Ghosts of the Miners. But for now, you'll have to excuse me. My producer Brent Hill has taken up bootlegging, and his moonshine has lost its luster.
1: And this will do it for this week's episode of the show before the show. Uh, Ordinarily, this is where we give you our MILB.TV picks, and... This is the final weekend for Milb TV uh, and only AAA games remain. Sam, we're, uh, we we kind of gave selections of what you should watch in the final week of the AAA final stretch. I guess those still are, are ringing the same level of true. Uh, but this is it. Final weekend.
2: Yeah, I, I think maybe what I would suggest is just check in with the final stretch standings, which you can do on MILB.com. Yes, and indeed. you know, I'm not going to project like, who's going to be leading on Saturday and Sunday, but – just follow along with that. Like whoever is with it, it's probably going to be Durham. Like we said, Durham is well on its way to being 7-0, which is insane after the regular season they had. Um, but any game you can watch on MILB-TV is going to be great this weekend. Like Tyler said, it's your last opportunity to watch it until 2022. Um, soak in as much as you can uh, because, you know, we won't be seeing unless these guys are going to the Arizona Fall League, like a Gabriel Moreno, who's currently in AAA. Uh, we won't be seeing these guys again publicly anyway, until 2022. So soak up as much as you can while we still have it.
1: It's uh, crazy to say, but yeah, we have made it nearly to the finish line of this 2021 minor league season. And uh, as always, we can't thank all of you enough for uh, hanging out with us, spending time, listening to the show, getting in touch with the show, supporting the podcast. And it has been a uh Very long last 18 months for all of us, and we are just thrilled to be back in a a situation where we're talking about the close of another minor league baseball season and things uh, hopefully getting back to full normal or whatever the, the next version of that will be. Uh, here coming up soon so we'll say goodbye for this week's episode of the show before the show but again A final stretch concluding this week all of that free at MILB.TV and uh, you can get in touch with the show podcast at MILB.com and uh, for Sam Dykstra I am Tyler Munn. we'll talk to you next week